Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Girl, I wanna be your goddamn idol And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard For the same motherfucking title But I been thinking about this prom party if we're here and you're here doesn't that make it our time no it's not it's our time as in it is like my time and your time (laughs) but like they can't partake in a conversation yet which means that like for the time being while listening to this it is not the prom party's time. They get It gets to be their time after the fact for the rest of time when we can interact as a unit. Whoa. Are you appropriating stoner culture right now with that voice? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Chaw. Chaw. <laughs> for those that don't know, Chaw is uh, the, the catchphrase of <laughs> the amazing photographer who does our tin types, and he's just a cool guy from Pennsylvania. I love it. It's marvelous. <laughs> He's it's great. infectious how much he's like, yeah, right. I know. And then every time we want to say it, we're like, do we sound like assholes? Because well, no. It's that thing where you're around someone and you just sort of pick up on their accent. So like I become real Chicago when your Chicago comes mm-hmm. out. And I just think that that's funny. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a form of like affirming assimilation. Yeah. It's a weird thing humans do. Humans are weird. Speaking of weird things, this movie is kind of weird, but not... This movie is magical, and that's why we were talking about it. Prom Party, it is the 40th anniversary of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, one of the most seminal teen films ever made. And what better way to celebrate than by making it one of our teen movie hell episodes of the year. As always, Teen Movie Hell is the book, the encyclopedia of this podcast, the Bible, if you will, written by Mike McBeardo McPadden. You can get your copy at Bazillion Points Book. It is a gigantic book of teen movies. Everything that you could possibly imagine is in here. It's always a shock when one is not. Mm -hmm. It's every fun 80s movie you can think of. 70s, 80s, 90s, even some into the 2000s. It's pretty incredible. But yes, teen movie hell, baby. I just discovered the back chapter where they talk about some like post-millennium films where they even mention Sorority Boys and Mike is not as kind to it as I was. (laughs) (laughs) So what was your introduction to Fast Times? Um, moving in stereo. Okay, that tracks. <laughs> um, th- that scene is so iconic. It's one of the best uses of licensed music in any film. Agreed. Because it's just so memorable and been parodied a million times. And it's really just like the most perfect song choice for something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's especially funny because that particular scene is like, I don't know, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. But since it's slow-mo, it just 
feels longer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I saw that probably in like a I love the eighties. Okay. Before I saw the movie. So they definitely talked about that scene ad nauseum on I Love the 80s. And I don't remember who it was, but I do remember because I Love the 80s used to do like weird censorship type thing where they would like put people's faces over things. They're being cheeky. Yeah. Whoever was talking at the time. So probably like Michael Ian Black or Mo Rocca or Hal Sparks. Hal Sparks. <laughs> yeah, Hal Sparks. The Whoever. silver medalist in Celebracadabra. Look. I know that's a real show because you have proven to me it's a real show, but every time you say the phrase celebracadabra, I think you're just trolling me, (laughs) but that is a real celebrity magic show competition that existed, and I hate that we live in a world where that is a thing. I just love bringing up celebracadabra at any chance I get because it's one of the dumbest and most preposterous (laughs) shows ever. So yes, uh, runner-up of Celebricadabra House Parks. Possibly House Parks. Possibly we don't House even Parks. know. We don't remember. I tried looking for the clip and I couldn't find it, but they did have whoever was talking, like their head cut out was photoshopped over Phoebe Cates' exposed breasts. And I that, for whatever reason, is etched in my memory. I mean, it, it's quite horrifying. It's very jarring <laughs> when it's like, ooh, boobs, ooh, man face. <laughs> The face of that man in particular. God forbid it's Hell Sparks. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I feel that. That was definitely one of my early introductions to the film. Mm-hmm. I think when I eventually saw the film proper, um, it was probably on VH1, VH1 Classic. Gotcha. So I got like a TV edit, but I don't think they censored too much from it. Um, probably just blurred some titties and removed some F bombs like that's about it probably i do remember that the tv edit zooms in a lot closer on judge reinhold when he's jerking it um to make it a little less obvious that that's what he's doing mm-hmm. um that i do remember but i think I, they also did that for phoebe kate so then it's just like I think so. her face <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that was definitely part of it but yeah i saw the movie for the first time unedited because i got it rented um i think i don't know i was probably like nine or ten i was really young so a lot of it did at that point kind of go over my head um revisited it in high school um when i was in my teen movie just glory days mm-hmm. and uh, the thing that i found most interesting about fast times and continue to find interesting about fast times is that it's a teen movie where just stuff kind of happens like there's mm-hmm. not really an overarching goal this is not a hero's journey it's not an underdog story like it's none of those things it's just These are the lives of some teenagers. Check it out. Yeah, this is the kind of teen movie that is similar to like a Can't Hardly Wait Mm -hmm. or Dazed and Confused where it's like, I mean, there's stuff happening. Each individual person sort of has a goal, but they're mostly just going about their business and Mm -hmm. we're just following it. Absolutely. And something that I want to bring up before we really dive into it is that I had mentioned to someone that we were going to do Fast Times and... One of the responses I got for it was, is that really a teen girl movie? I don't know. We did Last American Virgin. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's very true. (laughs) And my response to that was twofold. The first one being, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is one of the most important films in the entirety of the teen movie canon. Mm -hmm. This is a movie that they didn't think was actually going to get made. Um, I'm going to quote some really interesting stories that I learned doing some research a little bit later. But this really did change the game for teen movies. Without Fast Times, 
there's no John Hughes, there's no Heathers, there's no nothing. Like that, this is a huge moment. So that's worth talking about. But also, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is absolutely a teen girl movie. And it's kind of strange that people don't think of it that way. No, because every single boy, aside from Spicoli, orbits Stacy in some capacity. She is the centerpiece of this whole movie. Absolutely. And a lot of people like to argue that, oh, no, it's actually Brad. And yeah, Brad has a big part in this movie. Absolutely not denying that. But the heart of Fast Times is Stacy and what she's going through and the people she meets and how they all interact with each other. You can take Brad out of this movie and like, yeah, you miss some important stuff, but it ultimately it doesn't change the movement of this movie at all. But you take Stacy out of here and a lot of stuff doesn't make sense. Oh, if I mean, if you were going to take like a hierarchy of people that you could remove from this film without it changing, Spicoli is the most irrelevant because he doesn't interact with the rest of the plot. And then it's probably Brad. Yeah. It's, it's it's very strange. I mean, Brad has a lot of great moments, and we'll definitely talk about it. But this is Stacy's movie, mm-hmm. and it's just really interesting to me that Fast Times is remembered mostly for Brad and obviously his scene with Linda Phoebe mm-hmm. Cates and Spicoli. And I get the Spicoli thing. I get it. Like that's a really fun character. It's really memorable. It's the same reason. Like when you mentioned Dazed and Confused, everybody always remembers Matthew McConaughey. Like mm-hmm. I get it. But in terms of what this movie is actually about and what it's trying to say, it's all about Stacy. Mm-hmm. So yes, Fast Times is a teen girl movie. Also, it's directed by Amy Heckerling, director of such classic films as Clueless and Loser. So uh, fuck off. Uh, our podcast, our rules. Also, like Loser truly is an underrated classic. And you know what? We did it on the Patreon. Maybe like somewhere down the line, that'll graduate up to the main show because I think it is equally a teen girl movie and I still have plenty more that I want to say about it, (laughs) but we'll see. So before we dive in any deeper, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV Homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend. You give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts and you tag us on social media, hashtag thisendsatprom or at thisendsatprom. All right. So, Harmony, you had mentioned that this movie is a little bit more removed from the mid-80s teen films that you grew up watching. So can you set the stage for what was going on culture-wise in 1982? So something that is interesting of note is that I put together a spreadsheet which has all of the years that we've covered and what movies came out those years. So now I know precisely what the landscape looks like just based on our back catalog. And this is actually the fifth film we've covered from 1982. Are you serious? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. We don't spend nearly as much time in the 80s as we should, specifically like the mid-80s, considering how many important films there are. Mm -hmm. But this year, 
has a bizarre lineup of films that we have covered. Okay. So I brought up Last American Virgin earlier. Oh, that is that year. Weird. Okay. We also have The Last Unicorn. Not okay. That's one of our ones that like we stretched the definition of a teen movie. But yes, I understand. We have, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains. Absolutely a teen movie and absolutely incredible. And we have Grease Two. <sighs> My baby. So those movies, like, they come from pretty wildly different genres. And when you look at the lineup of other films that came out this year, it's it it makes sense for what was going on, but it's not exactly an exciting lineup of films. Um, we're one year removed from Porky's being one of the highest grossing films of the year. So we get a lot of like party movies, a lot of beach movies because Porky's is set in Florida. So I think they were just trying to have like a raunchier beach movie revival. But unless your name is Mike McBeardo McPatton... Nobody knows what any of these movies are. <laughs> Probably not. When one of the more notable film releases in your sex comedy lineup is Zapped with mm-hmm. Scott Bayo, uh-huh. it's not saying a lot about like notable films. Yeah, okay, good point. So this is like a really debaucherous time where we're getting nothing but like lowest common denominator releases in terms of like trying to capture the box office success of previous films. Either films like Porky's or lowest common denominator violence, like with slasher films. Yeah, that's a really good point. So yeah, it's just titillating pure id. That's it. (laughs) And that's definitely what makes Fast Time so interesting and a movie that they were not sure they were ever going to be able to get made. So for those that don't know, here is a hilariously short synopsis. A group of Southern California high school students are enjoying their most important subjects, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Sure. I mean, it tells you nothing about the actual content of the film, but that that's one way to sell tickets. So the making of Fast Times is really, really interesting, and a lot of the research that I did and some of the things I'm going to be quoting today are all directly from an oral history that Variety did five years ago for the film's 35th anniversary. Cool. But I can't they, imagine much has changed in that time. I can't imagine. I think the stories are the same. Um, so <laughs> I don't think the movie... I don't think a lot of things have happened to the movie in that time. Yeah, I don't think the movie's changed. I mean, some of the feelings I have about some of the actors have shifted a little bit. Like, Sean Penn in particular, I feel a lot weirder about these days. But other than that, like, man, it's fine. Mm-hmm. So something that I really like that they bring up in this in this oral history is that when Fast Times began filming, the teen film genre had little respect. Though there had been such classic teen dramas as 1955's Rebel Without a Cause and The Blackboard Jungle, most teen films were often slight and often very, very silly. They hadn't been very good, noted TCM host Ben Mankiewicz, who recently introduced the film at a Fathom Events and TCM theatrical presentation. Teen flicks certainly hadn't been taken very seriously, he said. The establishment in Hollywood, and I don't mean to say that as derisively as it comes to sound, has always looked askance at young people, their ideas, and what's important to them. So a movie about young people in a major studio seems silly, and I suspect to some people it was a sign of a changing time that they weren't comfortable with. That quote really resonates with me, and I think... The proof is in the films that we covered before Fast Times. Mm-hmm. Because you really think about it, and it's like, okay, we have Grease 2, which obviously, movie that I love, go back, listen to our episode about it. It's basically two hours of me talking about how much I love it. 
But that movie was not made as like, ooh, teen audiences in mind. That movie was made as, ooh, Grease made an ass load of money in mind. Mm -hmm. Then you have like The Last Unicorn. It's a fantasy book. The 80s was a big boom of fantasy. It's animation. That's also not thinking about a teen audience in mind. Last American Virgin, while absolutely a teen film, is still a sex comedy. And sex comedies, by and large, were watched not by teenagers because a lot of them were not old enough to go into the theater and see the rated R movie. Mm -hmm. And then Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, which, again, about teenagers, is definitely like a rock movie and it did not make any money. It's so a bleak fucking rock movie. Yeah, it's also really depressing. <laughs> it's, and... it's a bona fide <laughs> cult classic that was not meant to be like enjoyable in the way that like Fast Times is. Exactly. And it's a it's an indie release like to, to some extent. I mean, there was big people behind it, but like Fast Times is a studio picture. This is kind of unheard of at this point. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the production of it is is a little strange. So the script was written by Cameron Crowe, which a lot of people know him best from Almost Famous or Jerry Maguire. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is based on a book that he wrote after he went undercover in a San Diego high school for a year and wrote <laughs> right. about it. He, he did a Never Been Kissed? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he went undercover. What, was he a student just hanging out there? The thing is, I've not read the book, so I'm not entirely sure if he was posing as a student or if he was like a teacher. Just I I don't know what he was doing. He's just hanging around. He was just there. He's just pacing the hallways. And no one told him to leave because it was the early 80s. Yeah, he was was just there. So he, you know, he wrote this book and they were turning it into a movie. And when they were... And when they were shopping for directors, would you like to know who the first director they had in mind was? The fact that you're posing this question to me means I'm going to be scared. I promise you it is the last person you would have ever thought of because it's David Lynch. <laughs> what the fuck? And mind you, this is David Lynch who had done like a racer head and the elephant man at this point. Like that's the version of David Lynch. They saw that guy and they were like, I don't know, teen movie, David Lynch. What is with some of these 80s movies being like, ah, you know who should have done Heathers? Kubrick. Right. It's you know just... who should have done Fast Times? David Lynch. Yeah, it's... Here's the thing. I would absolutely watch a David Lynch teen movie. I think that would be a blast and a half. But what the hell? (laughs) This is not his M.O. No. No, it is not. And uh, what's what's really funny to me is that Cameron Crowe tells a story in this oral history where he says... uh, the iconoclastic filmmaker drove up to Universal in his Volkswagen Beetle and took a meeting with Crow. He had a very wry smile on his face as I sat talking with him. He went and read it. We met again. He was very, very sweet about it, but slightly perplexed that we thought of him. He said, this is a really nice story, but it's not really the kind of thing that I do. But good luck. And then got into his white VW bug and drove off. Years later, Crow ran into Lynch and reminded him of the meeting. And he very much remembered, which was great. Well, all right, then. So just so, so weird to me. Um, Eventually, the directorial role did go to Amy Heckerling, who Mm -hmm. was only 27 at the time they started production, which I think is really wonderful. Uh, She knew Art Linson, who was the producer. He showed her the script. She gave him all of her thoughts. And then he said that she should meet with the people at Universal. Mm -hmm. So they had her meet Cameron Crowe. They had her meet everybody at Universal. She gave notes. She started talking about how she loved the mall in the book and wanted that to be its own character. They loved the idea. And she ended up getting the job. And something else that I love about all of that is when talking about why she wanted so many scenes in the mall, she said it's because she doesn't like the outdoors. 
Okay. No, and I, like, I, I feel that. You know, good, good, good point. Good call. <laughs> and also, like, this is a very iconic mall that has been featured in a lot of 80s movies. Yes. It's in, it's the chopping mall. Mm-hmm. Like, probably one of the most favorite, famous malls in cinema history. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's the Sherman Oaks Galleria, which still exists. Oh, good um, for it. So that's kind of cool. What's the matter? You look depressed. I hate working in the theater. All the action's on the other side of the mall. So yeah, that's a a really cool thing. But that that's sort of how this movie came to be. And there's additional stories in there that I'm just going to paraphrase. But for example, like they would show up to Universal to like go to work and there would be people at the security desk that were like, we don't know what you're talking about. A teen movie? <laughs> that's not happening here. You're out of your mind. <laughs> what? And there was like one guard apparently who knew what they were doing. It was like, oh yeah, hey guys, like come on in, go go to work, whatever. But if he wasn't there, then they had to like prove that they were making a movie because the security was like, no, they're not. Universal's not making a teen movie. You're out of your mind. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So that's really funny to me uh, on a lot of levels. But yes, let's dive into Fast Times, the actual movie. So because this has somewhat of an unconventional structure, we should probably talk about the story arcs of each character because that's kind of what the film is doing anyway. Uh, yeah. And also, like, these characters are pretty easy to encapsulate and talking about it in any other way would kind of be chaos because we're jumping around a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of jumping that's happening. So let's start with Stacy because she is the heart and soul of Fast Times. Mm-hmm. What do you make Stacy? First of all, I think it's really fun that Stacy is just like a girl. Mm-hmm. She's not the popular girl. She's not like the nerdy girl. She's not like the studious girl. She's just a girl who works at a, like a mall pizza place. Mm-hmm. She's she's average, and mm-hmm. yet she is the apple of every boy's eye. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really nice. Um, also, I think it's really cool that she has like her own autonomy in this to the extent that she's dictating what she gets to do with the boys that she does. Albeit, I think that some of them, particularly the older boy, go a little bit faster and less romantically than she would care for. Yes. And I actually, in a very weird way, quite love that her first couple of sexual encounters are really shitty Mm -hmm. because that's the reality for most of us. And I feel like sex is often sold to young women as like this magical, wonderful, romantic thing. Like people talk about that sexual moment the way that Mia Thermopolis talks about having your first kiss in The Princess Diaries. Uh-huh. 
And it's usually not like that. It's usually really uncomfortable. It's, it's in a dugout on like a busted wooden bench with a blanket staring up at the ceiling and it says surf Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is going to be a little bit TMI, but... That's kind of what this show is. What else is new? But every time I watch this movie and I see that scene where she looks up and sees the graffiti, all I can think about is this one time I was at a college party where, you know, having sex in people's random rooms in their house was pretty, pretty par for the course. And I was fooling around with somebody in the bathroom and this particular bathroom had a white poster board all around the walls and markers so that people could vandalize the walls when they were drunk and it wouldn't actually like hurt their bathroom walls that's smart it's kind of genius like highly recommend that if you have like a party house but uh anyway i'm hooking up with this person they got their hands you know down there and they're just bad they're just really bad it's a terrible experience i'm starting to lose my buzz because it's so bad like really should have map quested my clit for them. They were not even in the same neighborhood. It was just rough. I love that you went with map quest for, because it's era appropriate. <laughs> I need you to know this was the 2000s. <laughs> but uh, I just remember just trying to distract myself and like do anything. So I was starting to disassociate a little bit. And I look over at the wall and it just says, fuck bitches, get money. And that was, to me, like a sign from the universe that was like, girl, get the fuck out of this bathroom. What are you doing? And so, yeah, I just like removed hand. I was like, thank you. Have a lovely evening. I'm going to be going now. Goodbye. God, I just every date Stacy goes on in this movie is a mood. And obviously, you and I are biased because we have done a fair amount of fooling around with men in our life, despite not really having any interest in men. Look, comp het is a hell of a drug. See, I would usually just do it for free food. Girl, you can't put that on microphones. Now some weird bald men with podcasts are going to take this out of content and be like, see, see, I told you, they do. They do use dates for free food. Yeah, so? Okay, fair. Fight me. Like, I don't know. I've been in a lot of circumstances where I've just been fooling around with some dude that, like, seemed nice. Like, we had decent conversations. And the next thing you know, like, we, we'll, we'll walk to the nearby Chipotle. We'll bring it back to his place. We watch, like, VHS rips of Jackie Chan Adventure in 240p on YouTube because this is, like, 2012. And then, like, mid that, he's just like, let's make out and just goes in way too hard, way too fast. Can I pause you for one second? Huh. Forgive me if this is crass, but given the equipment you have, Chipotle? He didn't get that far, VJ. Okay, okay. What ends okay. up happening is I'm disassociating and being kept company by Jackie Chan while this man is just dropping bombs on me saying like, oh my God, are you into puppy play? I have a cage next to my bed you can sleep in if you want. <laughs> This was never pre-discussed. He just, 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 just he just put that out there on a whim, <laughs> mid makeout with spicy Chipotle that? breath. <laughs> <laughs> Look, okay, this is not shaming anybody who's at a puppy play. Like that's fine if that's what you're into, go for yeah. it. But that is such a weird thing to spring on a stranger you've just met. Like if you're gonna do kinky things like that and also maybe just don't be like on a first date and say like I have a cage you can stay in. <laughs> it's a little much. Um, if you're gonna do stuff that's kinky related like that maybe discuss it right. sooner right. than in the moment. Right. Especially like it, 
not smooth. It's a lot of guys aren't smooth. Teen boys, young 20-somethings, they're not smooth. That, no. That's the moral <laughs> of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, I'm glad uh, we got to have this lovely detour where we share our harrowing sex stories with the world. But I mean, we're living our own sex comedies. It's fine. We really are. Thank you, Stacy, for giving us this moment. <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee, you're a real one for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But no, I I love Stacy as a character, and it's for all the reasons that you said. I love that she's just kind of a normal, average girl. Like, I think that she fits into that perfect role for so many viewers where because there isn't anything that is so blatantly distinctive about her, we can all put ourselves in her shoes. True, and I also think that's why she has the interest of so many men um, because I don't know, in their minds, they're like, ah, oh, she's obtainable mm-hmm. because she is the girl next door type. Yeah. Even like emphasis on girl next door because the first guy she hooks up with, I'm pretty sure he's like in college and yeah. he's like, you're, you're 18, right? And she totally lies about she it. She says she's 19. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's definitely a mindset that a lot of guys have. Like, you can't shoot... Like, this is some shit that Mike would be imparting on the fucking rat. Yeah. Where it's just like, no, man, you don't go for a perfect 10 or whatever. You gotta go for, like, a comfortable 6 or 7, because then that's something you actually have a shot at. You gotta stay in your league, dude. Mike Damone is such a prick. He's Oh, he's the fucking worst. That said, I get why people defer to him. Because he's yeah. confident, and he seems to be in control, and he's also a two-pump chump. <laughs> no, but there is definitely something appealing when you're young to a guy that seems like he has it all together, because when we're teenagers, we're all just balls of anxious hormones all the time. Oh, we're just looking for answers, and even if he doesn't know what he's talking about, he still has answers. Yes. He's saying them with more authority than scared little boys like Mark can handle. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And I totally get why Stacy eventually is just like, hey, this guy maybe. Yeah, why not? Uh for exactly that reason. But for me, the two things that I love the most about Stacy is one, I love her friendship with Linda. Mm-hmm. I think that they have such a good Chemistry, because we don't often get to see those friendships of a younger girl and an older girl in high school. And those were some of my very best friendships growing up. Oh, yeah. Um, My friend Amanda, who I've talked about on the show numerous times, rest her soul, um, she was two years older than me. So when I was a freshman and she was a junior, or when I was a sophomore and she was a senior, like those two years, they don't seem like a lot, but there is so much life that is lived in those two years. Oh yeah. And also like your best friend also was a great up from you. Yes. My best friend who is still my best friend to this day was a year older than me. Yeah. So I was constantly around these, these women that were a little bit older than me. And again, in high school, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a jump, but it's a huge jump. It's all relative. Yeah. It's all relative. So I love getting to watch Stacey and Linda, and Linda sort of has this, you know, otherworldly advice that she gives her, but Linda's also just trying to figure shit out. Mm -hmm. But she has a little bit more of that confidence because she is a little bit older, and I love seeing that. Just, we don't see it, and I I love seeing it. Yeah, and like, Phoebe Cates is quite lovely in this role. Um, She has beautiful hair. Oh my gosh, Phoebe Kate's hair in every movie, unbelievable. Yes. The volume. Oh, it's fantastic. Drop the, the, please drop the hair care routine, Phoebe Kate's. Yes, a lot of it probably is just good genetics, but <laughs> I feel obligated to point out people in the 80s who have magnificent hair, mm-hmm. because like, I love big dumb 80s hair, but it's so bad for you. <laughs> oh yeah, it's all fried. We talked about that in Heather's, that yeah. poor ponytail. Exactly. Ugh. But 
I think what's really interesting about talking about her being like older or or like aged up in some way as as Linda is that I don't see her as that much older next to Stacy. Mm-hmm. However, when you look at Brad's fantasy where she's getting out of the pool and her hair slicked back and stuff like that, she looks five years older instantly. Yes. And a random aside also is that the Stacy's mom video, which heavily parodies that, um, it's Linda in that particular role, mm-hmm. which is just a random thing because it's not Stacy. <laughs> but Linda's mom doesn't have the right ring to it, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> so I think, again, the age is just perspective because mm-hmm. Brad is seeing her as like a woman, a, a sex object, someone more on his level, like mm-hmm. age wise versus Stacy who sees Linda as older. Mm-hmm. So it's all like these unique, it, it's one of the things that I love about this movie is that it's a lot of different ages intermingling with each other, either through school or through work or through home life, whatever. And to me, that is more of the high school experience than what we see in a lot of high school movies. Where it's where, just confined to one grade? Yes, where we fix it on the grade level. Because like, like people forget often that Mean Girls is mostly about juniors. Mm-hmm. Heathers is mostly about juniors. Like mm-hmm. those, are, those are who we're dealing with. And a lot of teen movies, they're all seniors because they're graduating and it's prom and it's whatever. Yeah. But this movie, you're right, it shows a lot of the different ages interacting with each other. There's even some people who it's implied that like they just graduated. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really cool, especially because this is a movie that with the exception of like Mr. Hand and then Brad's bosses, there's really not adults in this movie. Mm-hmm. With the exception of Spicoli and Mr. Hand, that's really the only time we spend in a classroom in this whole movie. Yeah. It's it's just kids in their extra time, whether that's spent at work or, you know, hanging out, what have you. And something that I really like is that Amy Heckerling talked about how the lack of adults was by design. And in this oral history, she goes, I hate parents. (laughs) She hates a lot of things. Outdoors, <laughs> parents, I can relate. Parents open a whole box of stuff I didn't want to get into. I just wanted to say, here's the world of kids in their own universe. This is real. This is this particular time and place. These are real characters and what they go through. Crow recalled being told that if you make a movie just for kids, it will fail because not enough kids will come to the movie. And that was so strange to all of us, he said. So we banded together to make this movie where parents barely existed. It was raw in what it was showing. There's pot smoking and abortion and all this stuff. In fact, it was too raw for the MPAA, which initially gave this movie an X rating due to the brief glimpse of Robert Romanus's private parts when he strips down to make love to Jennifer Jason Lee. So like you barely see a ween and they were going to classify this as the same type of movie as pornography. So two things. One, wow, the times have changed. But this <laughs> For is real. This is also like uh, the quite a pearl clutching era in American culture is like the early 80s before things got real debaucherous and it was like the decline of Western civilization. And all comes back to Reagan. Yep. So, like, that's an interesting thing to see change over the course of that time. But also, knowing how raunchy movies that came before this were, but I guess they just didn't show that eensy-beensy bit of male nudity, Mm -hmm. and that's not a comment on the size of his genitalia, that makes all the difference. Yeah, you can show as many titties as you want and nobody blinks an eye, but you show even, like, the side boob of a wang. And people go crazy. And people lose their minds. <laughs> <laughs> but for real though, and honestly, uh, let, let, let's talk about this abortion storyline a little bit because it's a thing for Stacy, but it's also not a thing. 
And it's fascinating to me that we have now covered like three different abortion movies this year. Mm-hmm. And they're all from wildly different times. So we just did Dirty Dancing a couple weeks ago, and we didn't really plan for these to end up right next to each other, but that's just sort of how the anniversaries fell. And Dirty Dancing, obviously a period piece set in the 60s. That's pre-Roe v. Wade. We just did Unpregnant, which is is now post it being repealed. And then you have this right in the middle, and it's like just a footnote. She just rocks up to the clinic, pays like, a hundred bucks or whatever, and then just we just get on with the rest of the movie. It's n- barely even a subplot. Yeah, it's, it's pretty... luxurious how convenient and simple it is. Yeah, it's pretty wild that she fully like finds out she's pregnant, confronts Mike about it. He bails on her, and if anything, like this abortion subplot is more to show like what a shithead that Mike Demona is oh, more yeah, than anything. Is. Yeah, it's so much less about like, oh my god, Stacy has this huge thing happening to her, and it's more like, can you imagine getting somebody pregnant and then not paying your half of of an abortion fee? Fuck you, man. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing The Last American Virgin, which also is basically some <laughs> dude bailing on helping a girl with her abortion. Yeah. So yeah, when she realizes that like Mike isn't coming to take her to the clinic and like to pay for it, she just kind of lies to, her, to Brad and is like, hey, I'm going bowling. Will you take me bowling? He's like, yeah, sure, and drops her off. And then he sees her crossing the street to go over to the clinic, and because Brad's a good brother... He then just waits in the back because he knows that she's going to come out of there eventually. Mm-hmm. And when she finally comes out of there to leave and he's waiting for her, he's so chill about it. And he's like, you're not going to tell me who did this to you, are you? No. Okay, that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. that'll just be your secret. Mm-hmm. Let's go. And like, he's so chill about it. It's great. And then like, the movie just keeps going. Yeah. That's it. The only like aftermath of that situation is Linda vandalizes Mike's car. Because he fucking deserves it. Yeah, that is it. It is like a C plot in this movie. Yeah, not a, I would say it's like a D plot in this movie. It's very bizarre to just see it as such an afterthought considering the other three movies we've done that heavily handle abortion. Right. Yeah, we are not in very special episode kind of territory. Like abortion is treated as it should be, which yeah. is a thing that sometimes needs to happen. It's just like, whoop, that happened. You're going to be a little sore anyway. See you at school on Monday. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh-huh. So, like, that's cool and also jarring after the things we've just covered. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, so, we've been kind of tiptoeing with some other characters throughout here because um, they all orbit Stacy. They all kind of orbit Stacy. Let's talk about Brad. Let's talk about Good Big Brother Brad. So, I love Judge Reinhold. It's probably because I watched the Santa Claus a bunch when I was a kid, and he's you know that soft little therapy dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love Judge Reinhold, and I think he's such a delightful presence in this role. Even if I'm not super on Team Brad for the entire movie, mm-hmm. like I love that he's trying really hard to be like the best employee, and he's Employee of the Month, and he he's you know feeling some some unearned confidence because of that. Because <laughs> but he's it's, a senior. But he's a senior. I should so... break up with my girlfriend that I love because I should play the field before graduating. Yeah, how dare you break up with Amanda Weiss? She's beautiful and wonderful, <laughs> and it's really funny that she dumps your ass first. Um, and so, like again, that's like a reason I'm not super on Team Brad because had she not been the one to do the dumping, he would have absolutely dumped her. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that he's like a really endearing character because of that. Um, I forever love the scene where he chews out the the dude who's trying to get a refund. Because fuck that guy. Yeah. 
I know that it is against the rules when working in any sort of service position, but sometimes you just really got to tell a shitty customer to go fuck themselves. Like, oh, yeah, like, not that I think that Half-Baked is a funny movie, but this is the, like, fuck you kind of scene, but there's not a, like, a you're cool person mm-hmm. to have his back at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know when in America, like, the customer's always right kind of thing emerged. But whoever decided that, eat shit oh, they're forever. A, they're a monster. It was probably some McDonald's ploy where it's like, see, we have better customer service than everyone else. Fuck our employees anyway. Because like that's what the 100% guarantee is. That trickles down onto the person who like works the counter. Right. And Brad's just trying to do his job. He's like, hey, that's not how that works. I have to like file paperwork and I have to do whatever. And the guy is just not hearing it. We have to account for like the loss or whatever. Most likely, like, so that there's something here or so that you can't just come in and do this every single day because we don't have a paper trail of it. There's a reason for this. And then this, like, chicken shit middle-aged man is like, um, actually, I was just saying it's slightly undercooked, which is not what he said. Fuck that guy. Yeah, also, you ate almost all of it. You're dumb as fuck. Oh, there's so many. I've worked so many places where someone will go, uh, actually, I didn't like this food. And I'm like, why'd you eat it all then? And they're like, well, I want a refund. I'm like, that's not how it works. You can't, you can take like a bite yeah. and go, oh, it's undercooked or it's not seasoned right. And then you turn it back. Not actually, um, I was like, good enough to eat it, but not good enough that I should pay for it. Yeah, no, I don't. Mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. So yeah, he chews that guy out. It's glorious. I feel like everybody who has ever had to work in a front-facing position for the public knows what that feels like and mm-hmm. just wishes that they could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he ends up having to work at the seafood place where he has to dress like a pirate. And I love hate anytime teens and movies have to wear dumb gimmicky costumes just to make a living. Oh, it's the uh, the once bitten clown burger place. Yeah. <laughs> where it's like, don't get me wrong, I don't think that employees should be humiliated into wearing horrible costumes for their minimum wage jobs, but I do kind of miss gimmick restaurants. <laughs> I do too. I do miss a gimmick restaurant. I think they're fun and stupid. <laughs> yeah. And I feel bad for anybody who has to work there, but also I love you. Thank you for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, here's your preparation stuff. You got your sliced tomatoes, shredded lettuce, secret sauce. What's the secret sauce? Thousand Island dressing. What's the secret sauce of Bronco Burger? Ketchup and mayonnaise. Gotcha. Order for you, Bradley. Were those flowers really for me? Of course. How much did they cost? Don't worry about it. You want to go to the point tonight? What's there to do with the point? What do you mean, what's there to do with the point? We've been going out together for two years. I don't want to have to use sex as a tool, Brad. Tool? Tool for what? We've been going together for two years. I don't want to talk about it here. I want to talk about it. Brad? Lisa? Brad! You got a flip of a bird. But yeah, I mean, Brad is also the one who is caught jerking off. And the thing that I love the most about that scene, too, is just like the abortion scene, like Phoebe Cage just opens the door, makes that hilarious face where she kind of is just the look on her face is mm-hmm. like that sound is her face in uh-huh. that moment. And then she just kind of leaves and he's just like, doesn't anyone knock anymore? And then they move on. Like, well, it's not. It doesn't become a thing. Well, there's there's two things that I love about this is uh, first of all, in Stacy's mom, 
when the kid gets caught jacking off in the bathroom, thinking about Stacy's mom, Stacy walks in and it's like, oh, he's doing, he's thinking about me. I'm so honored. Like <laughs> she thinks she's hot shit because uh-huh. they, she thinks that those two have a thing. Uh-huh. In this circumstance, he doesn't even know who walked in on him. No, he has no idea. He would be so much more mortified if he knew that it was Linda. Yeah, which kind of makes that scene work. And like, obviously, we are not saying like, it's totally cool for you to like peep on people and jerk off. Like, no, that's shitty. You don't no, do it's that. it's super gross. It's super gross. But like, in the context of this film, though, the fact that she is the one who catches him and he has no idea... That's funny. And also, Brad's just kind of a loser. Mm-hmm. Like, remember when he has this, like, vacation moment where he's trying to pick up a hot blonde in the car next to him, and she's laughing at him because he has this stupid, like, Uncle Rusty's Crab Shack hat <laughs> on, so he still looks like a pirate? Yes. <laughs> like, you could have took the hat off when you were driving, my guy. You didn't have to keep it on. Right. No one's there to look. Like, your manager's not there to spy on you. <laughs> Yeah, and I do love that that is his moment, though, where he's like, yeah, fuck this, I'm out. And instead of even just, like, finishing the delivery and being done then, he just throws it in the road. I mean, whatever, he's not going to get paid any more or any less. Exactly. And it's like, okay, littering's not good, wasting food is not good, but you know what, I get it. Like, that's, when when you've been that humiliated day in and day out, I get it. I'm a person who will not turn down free food, as we discussed earlier. (laughs) But he tries like the the like the fried cod or whatever he's delivering, and uh, apparently it's quite bad. I, he, ma- he makes a weird face. I mean, and I trust uh, <laughs> that it's bad. I would never know because I can't eat fish. I like me some fried fish, uh, but this seems like a low budget Long John Silver's, and I don't know if I trust that. Yeah, that gives me kind of like the sick stomach chills. <laughs> you get the grosses. <laughs> it gives me the grosses a oh, little no. bit here. Um, so let's talk about Linda, because we mentioned her. I love Linda. I think she's great. Everything about her I love. I love that she is an older girl who doesn't fully know what's going on yet, but thinks she knows what's going on, so Mm -hmm. her advice is not always the most helpful. She's working with the information that she has based on her friends and her experience. Exactly. And that's all just us idiots trying our best. Exactly. And that's like the whole point of why I love this movie so much is because for the most part, it's a bunch of idiots trying their best and a lot of them with unearned confidence because they're teenagers and they don't know any better. Mm -hmm. And I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that portrayal because it is very realistic. One of the critiques that I've seen a lot of people make about this movie in later years through a more modern lens where they're like, all of them are making these terrible decisions and they're not thinking things through and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, they're teenagers. And I'm like, they're, yeah, they're teenagers. And also, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is a movie meant to show the stories and the lives of these teenagers. This is not supposed to be teaching audiences a lesson. Kids Mm -hmm. are not supposed to watch Fast Times and learn something from it. That's not the point. Yeah, but what's interesting about that is that this is pre-John Hughes where there kind of was a moral at the end. Correct. And this is also like post-kids media throughout the 60s and 70s -hmm. where there had to be a moral at the end. And that's what people were conditioned for. And the fact that there isn't one is interesting because Mm -hmm. it's not the goal. It's not really structured like a story in that sense. Right. And I think that there's something really refreshing about that. And it's even refreshing today where it feels like so many of the teen movies that are being made today are just so 
heavy handed with their with their messaging because the unfortunate reality is media literacy all time low. Mm-hmm. It is the worst I've seen it in my lifetime, at least. And because of that, unless you spoon feed your audience with what the message is supposed to be about, they don't get it. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, a lot of the teen movies are starting to feel like very special episodes of TV shows. And Fast Times doesn't do that. And I think that that is something I wish we could get back to, but I am very fearful doesn't exist anymore or um, cannot exist anymore. Yeah, I think it could exist. It would just have to be more on like an indie level, which is the unfortunate thing. That's very true. That's um, a great point. I think that the 90s was the last time we saw this as a prominent feature. Like we already mentioned Can't Hardly Wait. We mentioned Dazed and Confused. Like Go did the same thing. Like it was pretty common then of just kids hanging out because that's what you did. You just, you chilled and th- then life happened. And something that I like is the way that the people behind the movie have described it. So Cameron Crowe describes the film as a snapshot of a certain era in teen life and that these characters and their situations are very fresh and identifiable, which I do agree with. And then what Ben Minkowitz said when he was introducing the film for the 35th anniversary, he said, it holds up remarkably well because it feels honest. The pain that they feel, the humiliation that these kids feel, the frustration, the doubt, the insecurities, that all feels authentic. And that's mostly attributed to Cameron, the script, and the book, but also to Amy, who never at one point went for silly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really it. Like, that is the magic of this movie, is because if it was just a sex comedy, scenes like Linda and Brad would have been played for so many laughs. Mm -hmm. And they don't do that. They don't go for that in this movie. And I think... I, I think, like, that's the energy throughout it, and I think that that's important. Even with Spicoli, who... I know he's a memorable character. I don't want to spend a lot of time with him because he is kind of just a one-note character at this mm-hmm. point. Um, he's gone on to inspire more interesting versions of his own character, but he's just kind of there to be a stoner who makes bad decisions. Yeah, I, I think he's plucky. He's plucky. And he's got he, some good catchphrases. He managed to just barely eke through graduation. Mm-hmm. Cool. I, th- I, like, feel like... I think the character is interesting, but you can't have more of this character or it doesn't work. It's yes. not interesting to sustain more screen time. I agree. I think if you end up with too much of this character, then it does become a little silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I think there's just the right amount of Spicoli in here. I agree. <laughs> um, but these characters are all people that feel very real. And part of that realness is that they are are making a lot of fucking mistakes. Yeah, I mean, how many mistakes does poor Mark make? All of them. Mark All just, of the mistakes. He just does not know it. He is he is all thumbs. <laughs> He's all thumbs for life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh poor rat. Um <laughs> Yeah, he's just he's not making a lot of good decisions. He's very unsure of himself. He's very sweet and trying very hard, but he's trying a little bit too hard, a little too obviously. Uh-huh. Um, um, but there's something kind of endearing about that, where I look at him and I'm just like, oh, you. Oh, it's because you can tell when he's lying, so he's just inherently sincere. Yes, yes. Be- because he can't not be. Correct, because when he lies, it's just so painfully obvious. <laughs> Do you want another Coke? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this poor goober. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I I really enjoy Fast Times, and I'm glad that 
after 40 years, people are still finding it and still finding it to be very relatable. Uh Obviously, it's from 1982. Not all of the language has aged very well. Uh But as we say in the show all the time, that's kind of expected at this point. It's authentic to the era. It's authentic to the era, even if it sucks. And because this is part of our Teen Movie Hell series, I do want to read some of Mike McBeard and McPadden's Teen Movie Hell on Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I'm not going to read all of it like I normally do because obviously this is a massive heavy hitter, so there's a lot in it. Uh So these are just some selected excerpts that I think y'all will enjoy. Fast Times at Ridgemont High is both cinema's great American teen sex comedy and its great American teen sex drama. This is the one teen movie toward which all previous teen movies led and from which all have subsequently proceeded. The heart, soul, brains, funny bone, gonads, and remaining vital organs of every other film contained in this book extend in one way or dozens of others from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And Mike goes on to obviously dissect the characters and the music and the soundtrack, because the soundtrack for this movie rules. The soundtrack does rule, but like saying that the soundtrack rules is actually interesting because all the most memorable songs from this movie aren't actually on the physical soundtrack. Yeah, because they absolutely could not get the rights to include it on something that they could sell and make money off of. Yeah, for sure. If they were there, this would be one of the best 80s movie soundtracks, period. Yeah, totally. (laughs) What am I supposed to do? Go up to this strange girl in my biology class and say... Hello, I'd like you to take your clothes off and jump on me. I would. I mean, I can see it all now. This is going to be just like last summer. You fell in love with that girl at the photo mat. You bought $40 worth of fucking film, and you never even talked to her. You don't even own a camera. Will you tell me, Mike, what should I do? This is what you do. Start from the minute you walk into biology, Brad. I mean, don't just walk in. I'm going to move across the and you don't talk to her. You use your face. You use your body. You use everything. That's what I do. I mean, I just send out this vibe, and I have personally found that women do respond. I mean, something happens. Well, naturally, something happens. I mean, you put the vibe out to 30 million chicks, something is going to happen. That's the idea, Raz. That's the attitude. The attitude? Yeah, the attitude dictates that you don't care whether she comes, stays, lays, or prays. I mean, whatever happens, your toes are still tapping. Now, when you got that, (laughs) then you have the attitude. And he's right when he says that every teen movie up until this point was leading to Fast Times. And every teen movie that has followed only exists and is shaped by Fast Times' existence. Mm Mm-hmm. Because... I mean, as we've discussed at length through multiple articles and our own research and our own context that we've supplied, studios wouldn't have made movies like this for the rest of the decade and possibly ever if this didn't succeed. And granted, Fast Times did okay at the box office. Fast Times did extremely well in video rentals. 100%. And I'm glad that you brought that up because you're right. It did not perform super well in theaters. But it became a massive cult hit. And then a lot of the people who could not see it in the theaters because of that R rating, they rented it. And then Mm -hmm. this movie became massive and people loved it and they were quoting it. And it has become a phenomenon ever since then. And to me, that speaks to kind of the, the teen experience. Like we find things 
and we make them ours. Like mm-hmm. that's how our language works. It's how our trends work. We sort of create them. And I think a massive problem we've gotten into with a lot of teen movies now is that world doesn't exist anymore. Well, you can't make trends easily with films anymore because everything's mm-hmm. so splintered off. Exactly. It's so selective. Exactly. And there's no real universal teen language anymore because there are so many subcultures that have been able to expand across the world because it's not just people having to learn how to coexist with the other cliques in their high school because you can just open your phone and have your people with you anytime you need them. Mm -hmm. And so things have changed dramatically in that regard. And as we've been seeing lately, movies don't know how to speak to the current teens at all. Mm -hmm. Um, They're struggling real, real bad. I would say that in a lot of respects... um people being able to find their people so easily is is making it so that people aren't intermingling the way that they used to and we're a lot worse for it no and i agree with you and i think that is a really hard pill for a lot of people to swallow because on one hand it is great that all of like the weird goth kids can all be with each other thanks to you know instagram tiktok whatever all of this, the jockey kids can all kind of stick together. All of the e-girls can stick together. The gamers can stick together, whatever. Like we all can stick together. But what is now happening is a lot of teens then are thrust into the quote unquote real world, which all that means is they're leaving kind of, they're leaving the atmosphere of high school and they're then being thrust into a world where they have to go to work or they have to go to college or they have to do whatever and they have to interact with a lot of people that they have zero experience interacting with because they've been able to stay in kind of this very isolated, methodically curated group of people, either in online spaces or or in real life spaces. And that's going to be a really difficult adjustment to to dealing with people. Yeah, like, I think that the most perfect metaphor for how this movie creates intermingling is by looking at the cast so obviously you can look at like the imdb and see that there are academy award winning people in this movie mm-hmm. including nicholas cage mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're also intermingling with like bona fide cult classic actors and actresses like kelly maroney who is in three different mall movies set in the same mall. <laughs> Chopping Mall, Night of the Comet, and this one, baby. Yeah, which is She fucking... is the queen of that mall. She is. It's incredible. Or like Pamela Springsteen's there for a hot sec, which for anybody who doesn't know, that's Bruce Springsteen's sister. And in the fine Sleepaway Camp 2 and dismal Sleepaway Camp 3, but bless her for trying. So like you have people being forced to intermingle, but like in their own unique circles, there's Forrest Whitaker is names. in this movie. Yes. Forrest fucking Whitaker is in this movie. And he's like kind of a throwaway. Yeah. Where he's just like, I play football and have a nice car and they wrecked my car, but not really. It was Spicoli and my little brother. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and be like some noises short of being the water boy and kill this team. Right. Like, he is, that that's almost like, arguably, outside of Spicoli, that's the closest this movie gets to being silly, is him just murdering other high schoolers. It is really funny, though. It's very funny. <laughs> he just 
bodies all these people and tears them down. It's uh-huh. amazing. No, it looks fucking tight. Like, Forrest Whitaker are... is here to fuck you up. <laughs> I know. It's it, it, which is so funny because again, like look at Forrest Whitaker's career and never you will never think to yourself that man could kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this yeah, this movie's just really wild and and you're right. It's a lot of people kind of being forced to interact with each other due to the circumstances of either school or their job or whose sibling knows who or who has dated who or what have you. And I find that so interesting. But I do think that given this like splintered off culture that we're in right now, a movie like Fast Times might actually be really successful where it's not just one overarching story and one sort of thing that you're following. If people are given a lot of different stories to follow at once that all kind of interact with each other, I think that would be really appealing to the current generation where they would have like the group that they could identify with and see how they're moving along through the day and what they're doing, what they're interacting with. And, you know, it would force them to, yeah, see what the other kids are up to. But don't worry, we'll come back to you. We'll come back. And I think that would be really appealing. And I think that that would really speak to them. Yeah, but I think something like that nowadays would just get turned into, like, a streaming-only TV show. Well, totally. Well, everything does at this yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> like, it just, rather than turn this into a condensed, like, hour and 40 minutes, it's like, no, it's, it's going to run for eight full hours, and then we'll cancel it on a cliffhanger. Yeah, and every episode's going to be about a different click, and it's like, no, the trick is that you get them all together at one time. Exactly, so... <laughs> I almost wonder, um, so we mentioned malls, and this is a criticism that I see brought up with, like, the current, in the, with the current world, is, like, where do teens go where they can actually, like, exist and loiter and... The internet. That's it. Like, even if you weren't buying things at the mall, you could still go to the mall. It was, like, an indoor area that you could loiter at. But the closest thing you have to that now is, like, I don't know, parks coffee shops you're still expected to pay for something like there's nowhere for teens to actually intermingle in large quantities without money being involved you're absolutely right this is a massive problem that we're seeing and earlier when i said like the internet that's where they go this is not a like oh those dang kids are all too addicted to their phones like the only no that's the only thing they have like we have criminalized their presence in so many places we've criminalized Um, all forms of loitering in spaces exactly there's nowhere for kids to go to just be with each other and interact with each other like most malls now like you can't sit on a bench in the food court and hang out like they will be like hey guys keep it moving and they'll tell you to keep moving Uh i mean we've also been seeing with like theme parks all across the country have been implementing curfews or times where teenagers cannot be there without parents because unfortunately there's been a lot of violence and a lot of fights are breaking out in a lot of these spaces because uh, again kids are not being taught how to interact with each other anymore and it's it's just really difficult to process because there's no real way for us to fix it because there's just no environment that we can have kids be in where they can be around each other and learn to be around each other mm-hmm. i mean we can't even use school anymore because fucking pandemic <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying not to be, like, nervous Nelly about it, but I genuinely worry about, like, how the next generations are going to be able to interact with one another because we don't let them. Mm -hmm. And then when they try to, we tell them no. (laughs) The formal we, obviously, not like you and I personally. Not us specifically. (laughs) We're just walking into malls like, what are you doing? (laughs) I just go up to children and go. 
Fuck you. <laughs> Keep it moving. Here's a ticket. I don't care that you don't have a job. Hey, you guys had shirts on when you came in here. There's something happened to him, man. <laughs> Come on, Spicoli. Just put the shirts back on. You see that sign? No shirt, no shoes, no dice. <laughs> right. Learn it. Know it. Live it. And it's hard because movies like this, which do have elements that I feel are very universally relatable, regardless of the time period, I feel can sometimes be lost on younger generations because things like hanging out at the mall are so just not a thing that they do. You might as well be hanging out at the Parthenon. (laughs) I mean, kind of. It's like I've had this conversation with people before about like how do younger generations watch movies like A Christmas Story? And the answer is like they it does not register to them. Mm -hmm. Like it does not resonate with them because so much of it is beyond removed from their experience. They can't relate to that stuff from the 1900s. Right. But like there's nothing even like closely tangible the way that like we at least had landline phones so we would understand that sort of thing. Uh Or we understand a life before the internet and knew about radios so we understood like that's what you did before TV. Uh Like we are like so removed from that that kids today are like I don't get it. Like Uh why would you sit around waiting for that? And it's like well it's literally all you had. And like it just doesn't click in their brains because it's like but no, no. No, that's not right. (laughs) So, like, I get it. Like, you can't know what you don't know, and you can't experience something that you have zero experience with. Yeah, and that's uh, really unfortunate, and it's arguably the only detractable thing about this movie in terms of it being considered timeless. I agree, and I don't think that anybody could have ever imagined that we would live in a world where something like a mall would be considered, like, dated. Yeah. All righty. So, Harmony, the question remains. Fast Times at Ridgemont High is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own? I mean, it, it's a yes. I assume. <laughs> I, re- I really don't know how to go into this anymore. Um, is this my favorite 80s teen movie? No. But I respect it and its legacy far more than, like, almost any other 80s teen film because it's that important Mm -hmm. and i don't really have any criticisms of it i think it's actually just a very chill watch i think so too that's really a good point this is such a chill watch it's such a low stakes watch yeah and that's definitely part of this abortion movie has low stakes (laughs) can you imagine what the fuck (laughs) well alrighty, friends i think that takes us out on fast times at ridgemont high as always, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And if you want to kind of keep an eye on some social media stuff, we might have some interesting things coming out for you very soon. We might have some interesting things, that we'll, is sure. We'll see. Don't know when. But we'll see. Just keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> and as always, thank you to the Sonder Moms for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool indie band do you want people to check out inspired by Fast Times? 
So last year was the summer of ska, and I probably plugged too many ska bands. But in my opinion, there's no such thing as too many ska bands. Uh So I think this is the first ska band that I've plugged this summer. I And I want to believe they're carrying on the tradition of Save Ferris in having their ska band named after a throwaway shirt design from a t- 80s teen movie. It's actually a, a water tower, but yes. My bad. Anyway, this is the band Kill Lincoln. And this is a t-shirt in Fast Times. <laughs> yes. Um, so Kill Lincoln are a phenomenal ska band. Um, their singer Mike is actually the founder of Bad Time Records who is like the premier ska label that exists right now. Pretty Home much. to a lot of bands we have plugged on this show. A lot of bands. If you've, found, if you've loved any ska band that we've shouted out, odds are they're probably signed to Bad Times. But yeah, they released an album in 2020 called Can't Complain. It was written over the course of the pandemic and that summer. So it's an album that primarily is about understanding your privilege, self-improvement, and dealing with like, Mental health as the world fucking crumbles around you, but it's also like super danceable and has really sick grooves. So I I think it's a phenomenal listen that is Mm -hmm. extremely timely. Awesome. All right, friends, we will see you next week. Thank you as always for listening. And don't forget, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. He's not a guy. He's a little prick. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.